Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal on the eve of the election. And Bill, you've been talking about a possible 10-seat pickup for Republicans. So I've got numerous contacts from Weekly Standard readers and listeners saying someone needs to adjust your meds. So have you, in fact, gotten your meds adjusted? Uh, I, 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 I probably should do that, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm allowed to be. I'm usually pessimistic. I've been uncharacteristically optimistic this, this election for a couple of months, and I do think a couple of states that I've always been bullish on have come through now, and now it's conventional wisdom that Colorado and Iowa, for example, states which two, three months ago, if you had said, is the Republican going to win there, certainly four or five months ago, they would have said, no, no, those are strong uh, Democratic incumbent in Colorado, this Democratic congressman in Iowa, Tom Harkin's seat. Um, those two, I think, look pretty safely, I think one can say, are going to go Republican. So I do think there is a little, there is something of a wave. It's muted by the polarization in the country. Just, uh, you know, a lot of voters are just stuck with one party or the other, which just like with Obama's victory in 2012, for all of his talk about what a big victory it was, what was it, about four points, you know? So you don't get, you're not going to get a kind of 20-point blowout in some of these races the way you might have 20, 30 years ago. Um, And secondly, uh, the Democratic ground game remains strong. They're turning out a lot of voters which will mute the consequences of the wave or tide. But I, I do think Republicans will win the Senate, and I think they could go as high as nine or ten seats. Uh, the, about that wave, though, I mean, I agree with you that the polarization limits the size that the wave can possibly be. But there are a lot—I've heard this from a lot of Republicans, and obviously uh, uh, you know, people in the media on the left have been talking about it, about where is the big break for Republicans? Come on, if Obama's so unpopular and you, know, you've, you can't blame it now, you don't have—you know, it's not you have a weird candidate problem. You've got good candidates out there, and yet still look what's happening. You're struggling. You're on the edge. And I just—is—do you think this is a brand deal, or do you think this is a lesson that it's hard for the typical voter to see, which is just the astonishing power of mountains of money and the power of incumbency in a race to kind of, if not foil the will of the people, suppress the will of the people. I think that's right. I think incumbency is strong, and there's a reason a lot of these Democrats who are in trouble, some of them were elected for the first time in 2008, some of them have been elected a couple of times before that, or three in the case of Mary Landrieu. So it's not nothing to have these Democratic incumbents uh, uh, at risk. I think the Republicans may knock off the most Democratic incumbents who've been knocked off in the Senate since 1980, it looks like. So for all the talk about how it's not a wave, it'll be in that respect bigger, I think, than 94 or, or, uh, uh, or, or 2010. Um, the Republicans have won open seats in those elections. It's always hard to beat incumbents. The Democratic money is big, probably bigger than the Republican money. Uh, for all the Democratic complaining about super PACs, they're using them uh, more extensively and probably more effectively, honestly, than Republicans. And I guess I would say my counter-argument to those is say, oh, it's so disappointing the Republican brand is that damaged. I think there's some truth to that. On the other hand, what seats should Republicans be winning that they're not? I mean, it's not as if, you know, it's not as if there's, uh, the Republicans are leaving that much on the table. There are a lot of close races in states like North Carolina and New Hampshire that are states that are winnable for Republicans, but they're those are incumbent Democrats who are fighting awfully hard, and I don't think Shaheen, uh, I don't think uh, Kay Hagan will hang on in North Carolina. I think Tillis will beat her, but uh, that's close. And I think New Hampshire looks extremely close. Uh, there, um, uh, Shaheen has a bit of a lead, or has had a bit of a lead, but I'm told from people on the ground that Brown really is closing, and I think that will be those two will be close. Will close early. What are they? I think they're both 7:30 closing times Eastern time. So I think we should know by about 8.30, 9 o'clock what kind of night it's going to be. If Republicans are winning those two races, it'll be a very good night for Republicans. If Democrats are hanging on, muted gains for Republicans. If it's in between, obviously, 
in between. Uh, uh, one more thing on the big picture before we go state by state, and that is, do you perceive that there may be a problem for Democrats going in the future based on their decision to really go into the gutter of uh, race-based politics? And I, I know that it's tempting to say, oh, that's just a Republican like Michael Graham saying that. But there's wide agreement that the kinds of campaigning we've seen in North Carolina, Louisiana, uh, Georgia, another state just had uh, Alabama just had a flyer mentioning the KKK that there's it's one thing to say I want to energize black voters it's another thing to say black voters you need to vote because your white neighbors are suspect and you know, people keep asking why would a black American ever vote Republican uh, if you look at the campaign messages it's tempting to ask a question why would a white southern moderate ever vote for a Democrat well and do black voters even want that to be the message of the party that they're mostly affiliated with I mean I yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I think both parties have a problem. Republicans haven't shown that they can really develop a compelling national agenda for middle America. That's the task of 2016, 2014, like all off-year elections. It's mostly a, a negative referendum on the president. Uh, the media's going crazy. The New York Times has like 19 columns about, oh, it's just negative. Oh, it's a very petty election. Oh, where's the positive, broad, uplifting themes? I don't notice they didn't seem to publish those pieces in 2006 when the Democrats won an equally negative referendum on Bush after six years. That's just the way off-year elections are. Um, Republicans could have done a little more, I think, to create a positive agenda uh, in Congress over the last six months. They chose not to. They kind of chose to play it safe. Maybe that was the right decision. It's hard to say. Maybe they'd be doing a little better if they'd done a little more in Congress. But in any case, that's what's happened. The Republicans have a chance over the next two years, I think, to create the national positive message. I do think Democrats have run some risk in the degree to which it's now totally about mobilizing their base, trying to squeak out 51 percent. They're not running campaigns that can attract much beyond that in a lot of these states. And I think that will be a challenge for the Democrats going forward, because some of those, especially if they run short of 51 percent, Suddenly they're mobilizing a large minority of the country, and that's not a very good recipe for success. And, and so we'll start then in a state that doesn't have a particularly large black population, which is New Hampshire, with an incumbent uh, U.S. Senator Gene Shaheen. And uh, Scott Brown left his state of Massachusetts to go to New Hampshire, where he was born but has rarely lived. Uh, and a lot of people kind of rolled their eyes and said, oh, brother, this is just a joke. Uh, and now all of a sudden it's a neck-and-neck race. Yeah, I think that's a good case where people are saying, well, where's the wave? Well, Gene Shaheen, I think, was elected governor twice. That's right. Of New Hampshire, and then senator once, was considered pretty unbeatable. If you looked at uh, uh, stuff six months ago, she was in the virtually safe Democratic column. Scott Brown comes from the neighboring state, usually a bit of a problem, uh, but has run a terrific uh, grassroots campaign and buoyed by the fact that Gene Shaheen voted for Obamacare, has voted for Obama an awful lot of times. That's unpopular even in New Hampshire. This is not a southern state. It's a, sw- it's a state Obamacare twice. It's a state that swings a lot, though. A lot of independent voters. Uh, Kelly Ayotte carried it, I think, by more than 20 points in 2010. And then Obama promptly carried it by, what, six, seven points in 2012. So a lot of voters who will go back and forth. I think Round has clearly appealed to a lot of them, whether he's appealed to Quiet enough of them, we will see in, in 24 hours. But um, I think he, he may have. But again, I, I would say the fact that Brown is running even with Shaheen, virtually even with Shaheen in New Hampshire, suggests how good a Republican year it, it really is. So do the Republicans pick up New Hampshire, Bill Clinton, I mean Bill Clinton, Bill Crystal, yes or no? If I had to bet, I would bet yes. 
Okay, now North Carolina, which may be the one of the most expensive races per capita. It certainly is most expensive per media market. They're only about. I grew up in South Carolina. There's only about four TV stations in the whole state. They somehow managed to spend a hundred million dollars in North Carolina. Bill, will Kay Hagan cling to her seat? You know, there are seven states with Democratic senators that Romney carried. Everyone's assumed those were the most gettable for the Republicans. It looks like they'll get five or six of them pretty easily. North Carolina's probably been the most difficult. Kay Hagan's run a good campaign. Uh, the state's closer to a swing state than it has been in the past. So, again, it's not as if it has never elected Democrats. Jim Hunt was the extremely popular governor there and ran an extremely close Senate race against Jesse Helms, I remember, in, in 84, even with Reagan at the top of the ticket. So it's not as if Democrats don't or haven't been competitive there in the past, and they remain competitive there. Um, that one is very close. Tillis, I think, has been caricatured somewhat successfully as a Chamber of Commerce, big business Republican, also Speaker of the Assembly there, and I guess they've done some things that are, as you'd expect, controversial. Right. Uh, I think Tillis pulls it out at the very end, but that one is really close. New Hampshire and North Carolina are the two that close early that I think will tell us a lot about what kind of night it's going to be. And then we come over to another southern state as we move uh, uh, later in the day, uh, Georgia, with uh, David Perdue and Michelle Nunn, neither of whom has held public office before. There is a libertarian in the uh, mix as well, which matters because Georgia's a 50% plus one state. They'll have a runoff in, in uh, January if no one wins. Uh, Bill, what happens? Um, I think Michelle Nunn, uh, they have great hopes for her. I think she's faded a bit. I don't think she'll get over 50. Purdue could get over 50, or they could go to a runoff. Um, again, Purdue attacked as a sort of Romney Republican outsourcer. That has been a pretty effective line of attack this year, as it was in 2012. Bit of a lesson there, I think, to Republicans about the need for a middle American, middle class economic message. They they shouldn't walk away from capitalism, obviously, and free markets and and labor mobility and capital mobility as as good things for the economy, but they really need to explain why their economic policies are good for middle-class and working-class Americans. So what happens? I think Purdue either gets just about 50 or leads and goes to a runoff, which I think people would expect him to run to win. And now we're going to get towards the uh, center of the country. You've got uh, Louisiana, Arkansas, and then straight up the, uh, I'm trying to think my way up the Mississippi there, Iowa, and uh, Minnesota. What are we looking for along along those lines? I think everyone seems to think Tom Cotton will win in Arkansas, mm-hmm. maybe mid-single digits. It could be as high as 10, 12 points. Um, obviously a rising star in the party. If he and Joni Ernst, and Joni Ernst in Iowa now ahead by probably four or five points, maybe the seven, and the Des Moines Register poll is a little high, uh, Cotton and Ernst are two immediate stars, real national possibilities in the future coming to the Senate, both uh, post-9-11 war vets, uh, both uh, articulate, impressive, uh, ran good campaigns. Cotton was sort of some of the Washington types saying, oh, can he connect with voters? He's done just fine. Again, people forget, prior, six months ago, that was 50-50. You know, the priors have been winning elections in Arkansas for 40, 50 years. Not so easy to knock off an incumbent Democrat like that. So um, I think those look good for Republicans. Louisiana will go to a runoff almost certainly where I think Mary Landry will be in trouble. That runoff is in December. Uh, it'll be interesting if these runoffs in Louisiana, and if there is one in Georgia, are happen with the control of the Senate at stake and still in play. If that happens, it'll be kind of unbelievable how much money will get poured into these states. Republicans have already won the Senate. Um, i got to think Republicans do well in those runoffs. I don't know that voters particularly see much advantage of keeping a Democratic senator like Senator Landrieu if she's going to be in the minority, where a lot of her appeal has been, well, I'll be chairman of the Energy Committee, and I can break with Obama and deliver some good energy policies. That, that becomes much less compelling if the Democrats 
are going to be in the minority anyway. And as we move west, we've got, we have to, believe it or not, mention South Dakota, although it seems to have settled down. And I, I, the latest I've seen, Bill, is likely to go Republican. And then, of course, Colorado, a, a bright spot you've already mentioned. Colorado looks good for Republicans. Cory Gardner's run a, an excellent campaign. Again, not, Mark Udall was not on the list of most endangered Democrats uh, six months ago. South Dakota, a weird three-way race, and the Republicans got awfully nervous about that. That seems to have settled down to a, a victory for the former governor, Mike Grant, an attractive guy. Uh, another good, I think, younger, sort of impressive uh, face for the Republican conference in the Senate. Kansas, on the other hand, where the Republican establishment moved heaven and earth to renominate Pat Roberts against the Tea Party-ish candidate who was regarded as a little flaky, Milton Wolf. Um, then the Democrats pulled this stunt where the Democratic candidate pulled out. They de facto endorsed the independent who spent a lot of his own money. Um, I don't know what to think about that. I, I, an incumbent who's at 42, 43, 44 percent, which is where Roberts has been, usually loses. In fact, there are very few instances of such a person winning a two-way race in, in modern history. This is a little hard to predict. This is an independent running against him. Maybe he doesn't have advantage, the advantage of the Democratic ground game. Uh, maybe Roberts does pull it out. But if I had to bet on one, Republicans losing one seat they currently have, I'd bet it would be Kansas. And then uh, the, I, I guess the next race that's one of the races people will keep on is Alaska. I'm trying to think if I don't think we're skipping anything in there. Oregon, you know, there were hopes early on, but that hasn't uh, panned out. So Alaska could control the U.S. Senate come down to these 73 people who vote in Alaska. Bill Crystal. Yeah, wouldn't that be crazy? And it's a tough state to poll, and the polls have been a little bit bouncing around. Uh, people think Sullivan's ahead of Vegas. She was a good, is a good candidate. Is uh, was mayor. Um, I think at Bankridge there, the, the largest city in the state, obviously. So, um, And I think Bankridge comes also from a political family. Again, I'm not sure people would have predicted that Sullivan would have to be slightly favored at this point. They might not have predicted that four or six months ago. Again, I come back to the fact that people are now taking for granted that Republicans are likely to pick up seats that they looked unlikely to pick up a few months ago. That's what I think does make it a good Republican year. Um, we'll see if it's a really good Republican year or a pretty good Republican year certainly puts the lie to the notion that the Republicans are finished, they'll never win another election. I'm particularly amused by the fact that they're going to do better among Hispanics, probably 10, 15 points better than uh, Romney did in 2012, despite, or maybe not despite, having blocked the Gang of Eight immigration bill, which all the elites were telling the House Republicans, you've got to pass this or we're doomed. It turns out Hispanic voters maybe do, don't think we should have amnesty and open borders. And in any case, caring off a lot about a lot of other issues, uh, in addition to immigration, um, again, I, I keep coming back to the degree to which uh, Republican candidates, I think, going forward in 2015, 2016, especially presidential candidates, need to rethink parts of the party message. Being a Tea Party bomb thrower clearly doesn't work a lot of the time, but being in an establishment, big business, uh, open borders, uh, don't challenge Obamacare too much, establishment Republican doesn't work either. So if I'm doing my math correctly, assuming pickups in South Dakota, West Virginia, Montana— which have been pretty much given, then your list, Arkansas, Louisiana, Iowa, Colorado, North Carolina, New Hampshire, but losing Kansas, that puts Republicans up eight when all is said and done. Up eight or maybe nine. I can't remember if we're missing one there. And then I do think Virginia, I mean, I, you know. It, <laughs> wow. It, it, it could, no, well, that's an early state, so that'll be fun to watch. Mm -hmm. I mean, the last two polls in Virginia have been plus seven for Warner, down for about 20. 
and plus four in a poll that's by not well-established firm and a Republican firm. Right. So maybe that one doesn't uh, count. But I looked at the poll. I looked at its internals. It didn't look like a crazy sample or anything. Um, I'm told that a private poll had it even closer in the last day uh, that Warner canceled the rally planned for tonight in Northern Virginia. This is a, presumably maybe there wouldn't be enough enthusiasm for him. Uh, Gillespie's been sneaking up on Warner. Uh, it would be... As a Virginia resident, I, uh, I think that would be just fantastic if he could pull off a one-point upset there. may fall a little short, but may not. In any case, if that one gets real close, I think it will be a good sign for Republicans. If Warner coasts in at 10, 12 points, then I think um, it's probably not a great uh, – that, that, that would suggest the Democrats are showing more strength than – that I would have thought. I want to uh, close with one with a, a race that I've been asked about a lot, which is the Scott Walker race in Wisconsin. And people that I talk to are passionate about that race for two reasons. One is because Scott Walker, you know, stood up to the uh, government money to buy votes coalition that government unions represent, and he won, and he went through the recall and won again. And then the other reason is people are hopeful that he's the kind of guy, a governor who took on tough issues. Right in the uh, you know the, the the Mississippi you know right in the Mississippi and that whole uh, group group of states up there that could be a, a strong presidential contender. Uh, what what do you know about and what should we be watching for in Wisconsin? I was told by people close to the Walker campaign that they feel that he's ahead by uh, three or four points. That the, that it was very close about three weeks ago. And that he's gradually opened up a lead. Uh, if he wins by three or four, he will have won three elections. He won that recall right. in Wisconsin in four years. Uh, a tough state for Republicans, obviously, a state Obama's carried twice. He won before that as Milwaukee County Executive, I think twice, in a, in a county that's normally Democratic. Uh, I do not think you can underrate someone like Walker, who has governed as a pretty strong conservative, winning in a purplish-blue state. I mean, that is a pretty impressive achievement politically. I think he's been a pretty good governor in terms of policy as well. So uh, for all the talk about how Walker's wounded and, you know, we uh, this, this is uh, the closeness of the race will hurt him nationally, and everyone's talking about Jeb Bush and others, uh, possible national candidates. I don't think Walker should be underrated. Bill Crystal, thanks so much. We will be able to chat on Wednesday and find out how all of these went. And let's I'm, destroy. Let's destroy this tape before Wednesday. Uh, no, not not a chance. It's going in the vault. It's going to be absolutely protected. In fact, it, I blocked NSA access to it because I know you have some friends in the intelligence community. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate your time. My pleasure, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.